acknowledge today that just like that song says, even the very ability to breathe, it's a gift from you. And so God, no matter what our week has been like, no matter what we've gone through this past month, this past year, we thank you today for breath. We thank you for life. Come on, just thank him in your own voice, your own way. God, I thank you that there are things that should have stopped my breath. There's decisions I made in my past that should have ended my breath. There's things that should have stopped me from living. And, and, and there's things that happened that should have made me want to give up on life. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have pursued, uh, you, you have pursued me and you've refused to give up on me. And I thank you, God, that you have, you have, you have protected my breath. You've protected my life. And so sometimes there's times in life where that may be all we have is our breath. But God, we stop and we acknowledge and we thank you, Jesus, for the gift of life because there's so many of us that know people that no longer have that gift. People that have made the same decisions. People that have been in the same situation. So we stop. Regardless of what we're going through, and we praise you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you for breath. And we acknowledge in the face of whatever we're dealing with this morning, you are good. You are good. You are good. And you are a good father and you give good gifts. And uh, help us to never lose sight of that, even when sometimes the world uh, doesn't seem that way. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, before I even start my rambling and babbling, I'm going to ask one of the ladies uh, to come up. And you guys knew this was going to happen, so don't be surprised. Uh, doesn't matter who it is, who went into the battered women's shelter. And just very briefly, if you want to just tell us about that experience Tell us about some of those women that you met. Obviously, we can keep their names confidential. doesn't matter uh, who does it. But I think it's powerful what you guys did. Uh, if you don't know what they did, so every other week we go out to the community. Uh, so we have a house church once uh, one Wednesday, and then the following week we go into the community. So we kind of bounce back and forth. And this past week's outreach was the women went into the battered women's shelter. Uh, the men uh, didn't go because the, the men don't go into that facility because... They've been beaten up by men, essentially. So, yeah, there's a lot there going on. So, but yeah, it's powerful, powerful stuff. So, yeah, it doesn't matter who. Anybody want to come up and share? No pressure. Um, yeah, we went in to the Y. It was, uh, it was super awesome. There was, I think, only five ladies that were there. And it was just nice to hang out with them. They, uh, they were actually in pretty good spirits. They'd only been there couple weeks so they were pretty fresh out of going through um, whatever their situation was. Some wanted to talk, some didn't. But uh, yeah, we uh, we did facials, we painted nails, we had dessert, we had coffee. And yes, there was, a, there was one lady that she has two kids and I guess right now, I'm guessing it's the state or her family. She really didn't say where her kids were. Um, what was that? She didn't say right. Um, she got caught on the 15th though and it's due to whatever the situation was, so she did ask if we could pray for her family and her kids coming back um, to be able to stay at the Y with her um, in that restoration. So if you could just keep that situation in prayer. Uh, God, we just thank you for that family. I thank you for the protection of the, the place they're in that is offering them a safe space uh, to not be abused, not be beat up, uh, whatever that story is. I pray for this court date for this young woman. Uh, that you would just help them to stay together, that you would protect her, and that I just pray for a favorable ruling in that situation, whatever's going on. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, thank you for that. But that's, that's some, hey, I'll tell you, man, that is some powerful stuff. 
And we are not going to apologize for caring about these people. We are not going to apologize for trying to reach these people. And we're not going to be embarrassed and ashamed of these people because we believe that when God looks at these people, they, they are still valuable to him, that their lives matter. You know what I mean? I don't care if they're addicted. I don't care if they just got out after doing 20 years. I don't care if they're living under, you know, in, in an abandoned house down the street. Like those people's lives matter. And there's no amount of paint. There's no amount of construction. There's no amount of new concrete that's going to transform those people's lives. Like true transformation it starts within the human heart and it talks about you know in the scriptures and you know the city of Jericho and how they wanted to rebuild the wall and all this stuff and, and, I'm, and I'm all for I believe God's called us to like actually rebuild physical buildings that are falling apart I believe that's a holy thing but first God's calling us to rebuild people's lives man and I believe we can do both I do please just keep praying for direction keep praying for opportunity I wouldn't be surprised if God just surprises us and somebody gives us a building that wouldn't surprise me a little bit I told her, I said, you know what, we don't want to, we don't, she says, well, are you interested in any other locations? And she wasn't trying to discourage me. She was just saying, hey, have you looked at any other buildings? Yeah, we looked at, at a couple. And I told her, I said, look, we're not going to move way out to the west side. You know why? Because the people on the east side can't get there. We're not going to go all the way into Westchester because the African-Americans on uh, Front Street, they can't get there. We're not, you get what I'm saying? So the, us being in this location and being downtown and being centrally located is very critical to what we're doing because I believe God's calling us to bring all those people together. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of classism around here, right? Uh, I'm not from here. You hear people talk about, oh, I'm from the west side of Hamilton. Bro, this city ain't that big. Why, why do you feel the need to tell me that you're from the west side of Hamilton? You ever hear this? Anybody ever hear this? Ah, I'm, from, I'm from the east side. Bro, the city's not that big. You're from Hamilton. There's this, there's like this, like cognitive dissonance with that dumb bridge. You know what I mean? Well, I live on that side of the bridge. You know, and that's, let's be honest, that stuff happens in every city. Uh, but there's a lot of classism. There's a lot of racial divide. There's a lot of socioeconomic divide. And there's just people that just don't want to see what we're doing happen. And we really don't care. Amen? Amen. We really don't care, do we? All right. <laughs> Rage done. See, I, I could, I could have went off. I could have really went off, but. Sometimes it's not helpful. Uh, we don't want to talk about it. We want to be about it, right? Okay. Today's topic, man, this is a good one. This is a good one. We're going to talk about baptism and renewal. How many people here, uh, you've been baptized or you're interested in the idea? How many, how many people have not been baptized? It's all good. There's no judgment here. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was baptized in a, in a, in a prison barber sink uh, because they had no baptismal. And the, the dude that baptized me, he was my barber teacher in prison, and that's all we had. We had a barber sink, you know what I mean? And so I was baptized in a barber sink. And uh, there's, there's, a, there's a funny video on YouTube of this kid. He's like a teenager. He's about to get baptized. And then they had the, one of these glorious baptisms. You ever see those ones where they have the steps going all the way up and the thing opens up, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I like the light, spotlight comes on. I just, I don't know if that's how they were doing it in the first century. I think they were just throwing people in the river. But hey, we got modern buildings, why not? Whatever. Anyways, this kid's a wise guy. He reminded me of myself when I was a kid. He climbs all the way to the top and preaches down to the bottom. You can tell this is a very uh, conservative church, you know what I mean? All the wood and everything's perfect. It's in its place. And uh, the kid gets all the way to the top, and the pastor's down there, and this kid jumps and cannonballs into the baptismal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cannonballs into the baptismal. I don't care what you believe, man. I think Jesus himself is laughing at that, man. That's some funny stuff. Some funny stuff. So baptism uh, 
It's this powerful, mysterious practice that people have been doing for thousands of years. Uh, and I, I, let's just start in Luke chapter chapter three. And, and let me let me tell you this before we jump into this topic. This subject and this topic, what we're going to talk about, it has everything to do with your life right now, even if you've been baptized, right? And, and, and we're going to dig real deep into this idea. Where did it come from? How did it originate? Like, what is the point of it in 2018? Oh, you're ducking me in water. You know what I mean? I don't know about you, but like me and my brothers used to wrestle and screw around. Like somebody holding me under the water, not a fan. You know what I mean? Anybody have any older brothers? Like they like to hold you down just a little bit too long, you know? Oh, I didn't know you couldn't breathe. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't see me kicking, right? Uh, but anyhow, let's read Luke chapter 3, verse 2 through 22. This is out of the Hood version, the message. Uh, R.I.P. Eugene Peterson, legend. Uh, he died recently, the guy that authored the message, uh, one of my favorite translations. Uh, it says this. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice, calling one, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways become smooth. Let's start with that. First of all, so it says that this dude wasn't just like dunking people, but there was a purpose to what he was doing. It was connected to people turning away. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from ways that are destructive and moving towards the way of life. It was, it was a way of turning away. So it wasn't just like, yeah, let's have some religious practice. It was like, no, nah, dude, like you've been extorting people. You probably need to turn it around. This is the first step. You know, this is the first step. Verse six, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized with him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. Verse 18, in many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son who I love. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but like if I roll up, man, like people are doing baptism, I come to your church. 
you brew the vipers. You know what I mean? You ever have anybody call you a viper? <laughs> you know, sometimes the truth, man, it, it can pierce. It can pierce. And so all these people, man, there's this dude, John, uh, John the Baptist. Some of you guys uh, know some of the background with him. This dude was weird. He's bizarre. He, he, he reminds me of, like, somebody that, like, looked like they, like, I don't know, was like a hermit. You know what I mean? I, I forget. There was a guy in, uh, what was that, South Carolina. You ever hear about the hermit, man? There was, like, this guy that, like, literally lived in this, like, thing on the beach for, like, 40 years. It's unbelievable. So, anyways, John the Baptist, he's very eccentric. It said he lived off of wild honey and locusts. I don't know about you, but I haven't had a locust lately. Uh, if you're bored today, go find you a locust, chew it up. I'm sure it's delicious. Put a little honey on it. Dude was a character, man. He was a character. And so all these people, man, there was this prophecy uh, that these people uh, in their scriptures that there was going to come a day where this Messiah, this guy that was going to make everything right, he was going to come. And so they thought maybe this is the guy. So all these people in droves, they're showing up. And then there's all these different kinds of people. There's all these different kinds of people. And there was, it, it says even at one point, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Tax collectors, they were some of the most despised people of that day. So every type of person under the sun was coming out of the woodwork to be baptized from this dude. And, and there was this thing that John kept saying to him. And anytime you hear something more than once in scripture, you should pay attention to it. You should pay attention to it. It says three times... The people say, what should we do then? So one guy says, hey, what should we do then? The crowd asks, what should we do? Uh, John answered, hey, if you got a shirt, if you got two shirts, share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. So when the tax collectors came to him, they asked the same thing, same phrase. What should we do? He said, don't collect any more than you're required to do. Because what these people were doing in that time, they were extorting people. They, the, the government was extorting people and taxing them at an unfair rate. Again, I'm so thankful we live in a country where this stuff don't ever happen to us anymore. Thank God, right? And so lastly... Uh, yeah, the tax collector comes to him. What should we do? And he told them, uh, you know, don't tax people more than you should. Then some soldiers came to him. And what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I'm so glad we live in a country where people who are in positions of authority don't accuse people falsely. So thankful that never happens. I'm so thankful that people don't get exonerated after 30 years for a crime they never did. I'm so glad that happens other places and not here, right? He says, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? Three times, three times he says this. And he says something very key. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. First thing I want to mention is spiritual transformation is always, always, always accompanied with action. Right? You can spend your whole life believing all the right things and like never, never really connect with what the whole thing's all about. If there's no action, there's a lot of people, they believe all the right things, but their lives, there's no action that lines up with what, they're, what they believe, right? And so when you encounter like real genuine spiritual transformation, when you really encounter who God is, like you have to ask yourself, what should I do? Right. So when you come and encounter with God, when you when you have a connection with God, when you when you come to Jesus, when you have a spiritual transformation, like it's not just what do I believe? They never asked. And that, I think this is really interesting. They never asked John the Baptist, hey, what should we believe? What did they ask him? What should we do? We understand we've been confronted with something far more bigger than ourselves. We understand that there, there, there's got to be something that we should do. They felt the urge to act. True spiritual 
Transformation is always accompanied with action. And so I want to ask you this morning, and this is to myself, like there's a mirror like out there in that chair looking right back at me. I want to ask you, what is it in your life that you should do? What is it that when you're confronted with God and you're honest with yourself and you're honest with who Jesus is and the weight of the glory of who he is, like what is it in your life that needs to change? There's, it's like there's this Trinitarian chant of what should we do, what should we do, what should we do. They didn't ask what should we believe. They said, what should we do? This requires action. It requires action. So first thing I want to say with baptism, this idea of spiritual renewal and transformation. Spiritual renewal and transformation and baptism, it just, it's not just about all this religious stuff. It's about action. It's the first step in action. That's why it's a tactile thing that you're stepping into to water and you're being put under the water. That's physical. Like there's action. There's movement attached to that. And so that's part of the reason why we do it. So John says to him, hey, I baptize you with water. And if you think about being baptized with water, and there's people that have different views of this. Uh, if you want to be disturbed, look up some Orthodox baby baptisms. Boy, oh boy. And hey, people are something else. <laughs> Anybody ever see this? So they, I, I'm not even going to get into to, to the whole thing, but they, they, they believe in baby baptisms. And these guys, man, they will grab these infants. They're infants. I'm telling you, that was my kid. I'm going to knock you out. I don't care if we're in the church or not. They grab these infants by the legs. And they go, look at this. And I'm talking. They're just boom, boom, like three times. It's unreal. Anyways, rabbit trail. But baptism, most 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 uh, most believers, most Christians, uh, they believe in some form of baptism. Uh, I personally believe in the idea of being completely immersed. I don't think it really matters if you're in a prison setting and you got to be dunked in a in a barber sink. I think God respects that. There's no need to do it again. Uh, we're not getting religious with all this. But in this idea of what John the Baptist was doing, he was completely immersing people with water. If you think about being dunked in water, how much of your body is, comes in contact with the water? All of it. All of it. And so he says, there's one coming that will completely immerse you, not just in water, but with the Spirit of God. He will also baptize you with fire. And, and I don't know about you, but I've read this many, many times. And then he will baptize you with fire. You know what I mean? Like I've been part of Pentecostal situations and, you know, the way that's been interpreted. And, hey, I ain't knocking you if that's your, that's your background. Some of that stuff I think is valuable. We need to hold on to it. But, uh, you know. Most people, when they think of that, they think of either judgment or they think of some super charismatic thing. And I, I was thinking about this, and I think there's many ways you can perceive it. But I thought, man, that's an interesting analogy. And I was thinking about when it says that Jesus is going to baptize us with fire. What is the best material that's used to start a fire? Come on, some of you uh, wild men. Start a fire with your bare hands. What do you do? You get kindling, right? And what is kindling? It's something that is dry and dead. The best thing you can use to start a fire are things that are dry and dead. So he was saying that this guy that's coming, he's going to burn up whatever is dead and dry inside you. And while he's doing that, he will also bring a warmth and comfort to your soul, just like the warmth and comfort of a campfire. Like, I don't know about you, but that spoke to me like... What is baptism? What does what Jesus come to do? Jesus has come to burn up the things that are dead and dry inside me. And, and I'll tell you what, we all have those things. We all have those things. He's going to bring you warmth and comfort to your soul that you've never known. It's interesting for each group of people, the answer 
of what should we do was different. And I want to say this, you know, we talked about that a couple minutes ago when these people were encountered with God, with uh, John the Baptist and they encountered this idea of baptism. They all asked, what is the action? What should we do? The interesting part of that thing is it was different for each one of them. It was different. So for the tax collector, like his what should I do was different. And I want to tell you like this morning, like we all have things that we can submit to God. We all have ways we can uh, turn around. We all have things that, we're, that we struggle with and things that we battle with. And so your what should I do may be different from mine, and that's okay. That's okay. But I think all of us, when we come in contact with the real Jesus, we have to be driven to some kind of action in our lives. And that's why a lot of people, when they look at the church, when they look at some Christians in the world, they think it's a joke, man. They think it's a laughing joke. Like, they don't take it serious. And why is it that they don't take it serious? It's because of people who profess this stuff, their lives don't look any different, man. And I'm not, and I'm not saying from a religious point of view, like, let's, 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 let's get that clear. Like, you, you could have all the behavior modifications you want and your heart never be transformed and you have no compassion on people, right? So that's not what I'm talking about. But our lives on some level, like if we've truly encountered God, like there's certain behaviors, and again, I'm talking to myself, there's certain behaviors that should change. There's ways that I've treated my wife that I probably shouldn't do anymore. There's ways that I've spent my money in the past that I probably shouldn't do anymore. There's something should be different. Something should be different. Our lives can't come into contact with the real Jesus and not be driven to some kind of action. Baptism, so I want to start with this. Where does baptism come from? Baptism comes from this ancient practice called ritual immersion. And in ritual immersion, they did this before Jesus ever walked this earth. They would have these things called a mikvah. Can you say the word mikvah with me? So what the mikvah was, was it was a ritual immersion of uh, Bath, the best way I could describe it, it was like an ancient hot tub, but it wasn't bubbling and effervescent, you know what I mean? It was just, it was just like, it, it was kind of like the same shape of it. And the word mikvah, it means, literally means a connection, and it's a bath that's used for the purpose of ritual immersion in Judaism to achieve purity. This is something that they did before Jesus ever walked the earth. And so when John is doing this, that's the tradition that he's coming from. That's where it came from. When Jesus himself is baptized, that's the tradition. That's the idea it came from. And so there was there was a couple uh, uses of this mikvah and, uh, that, that, that they would use it for. So after the temple was destroyed uh, in, I think that was 70 A.D., uh, the first thing they would do in Jewish culture is if a, if a woman uh, went through menstruation and childbirth before, uh, they and their husbands re re resumed marital relations. They would go and they would have like a ritual bath, right? Uh, the second thing that they would do, it was part of a traditional procedure for conversion to Judaism. So if you became a Jew, like that was the way that you did that. It wasn't like, hey, praise the Lord, raise your hand. Can you pray this prayer? Repeat after me. It was like, nah, dude, let's go, let's go dunk in the mikvah. Uh, so that was part of it. Uh, next, it was to immerse newly acquired uh, utensils used in serving and eating food, uh, and also to immerse the body as part of preparation for burial. So they also did this before people were buried. Uh, most forms of impurity can be nullified through immersion. And again, this is where this all came from. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Most forms of impurity can be nullified through immersion in any natural collection of water. Now listen to this. However, some impurities require living water, such as springs or groundwater, 
wells. Living water has the further advantage of being able to purify even while flowing as opposed to rainwater, which must be stationary to, in order to purify. Now, when they build these, and they still do this to this day, you can go to New York where there's a large Jewish population. I'm sure they have one in Cincinnati. Uh, that mikvah, that bath has to be connected to a source of what they call living water. It can't just be like, hey, I'm going to turn the tap on and put some water in there. Like, it's got to be connected to either groundwater, rainwater, or some form of living water. And what is living water? Living water is water that it, it comes, it, it moves. It, it's it's coming from a place. It's not just a stagnant. Any people fishing here? Anybody been fishing before? The last thing you want to do is go to a stagnant, nasty, dead, like cesspool of, a, of, a, of water to fish, right? And why? Fish don't like that. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying ponds and stuff like that, but has anybody here ever seen like a, a, like, like a body of water that was just like dead? Like there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And part of the reason why there's nothing there is there's no movement. There's no movement. The mikvah was designed to simplify this requirement by providing a bathing facility that remains in ritual contact with a natural, again, it's connected to a natural source of water. In order for the water to be usable, a mikvah has to be connected to a living or moving source of water. There has to be this flow of new coming in and the old coming out. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? And we're going to go somewhere with this. John chapter 4, and I don't have those slides. John chapter 4 says this, But whoever, and this is Jesus speaking, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up, to eternal life. So, so Jesus is saying essentially, hey man, when you connect with me, like you're going to become like this mikvah, like your life is going gonna to become this living thing that when people come in contact with, people are going to find a sense of freedom. People are going to find a sense of liberty. And so Jesus was saying, hey, I've come to make you a living mikvah. That's powerful to me. That's powerful to me. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 3, it says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will, will be written down because, listen, because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. So it describes the Lord as the living water. Jesus is described as the living water. Revelation 22, verse 1 through 2. It says this, Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. Again, it's giving you a picture of heaven and giving you a picture of when God puts everything back together. In the middle of this city, there's this river that comes out of, and this, where does this river come out of? It's coming out of the throne of God. It's coming out of the throne of God. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, this is Jesus speaking. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers, listen to what he says, rivers of living water. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. But, he, but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So again, over and over and over, Jesus describes himself as the living water. The living water. Like, I am the only one that's going to purify you. I'm the only one that's going to restore you. If you're feeling unclean, if you're feeling dirty, if you're feeling disconnected from God, like, I'm the, I am the living water. And when you get in this living water, you become the living water. That's powerful to me. That's powerful to me. Because that tells me, like, the Christian walk and this way of life and this life of God, like, it's not just meant to be this stagnant, dead, boring, dull thing, but like God's saying, hey man, when you 
tap into who I am, like you become the source of living water. Not, not that you're God, not that I'm God, but we become conduits of his living water. And so everybody that we come in contact with has the potential to experience that life. Experience that life. There's this podcast I love to listen to. Uh, it's called Ear Hustle. Has anybody heard of this? So Ear Hustle, if you listen to podcasts, uh, what it is, there's a guy that is in San Quentin Prison in uh, California, and they do a podcast from inside the prison. It's real interesting. Uh, pretty graphic at times. It's penitentiary life. They're talking about what prison life is about. And on this last episode I was listening to, there was this guy that was, they, they do this thing called, uh, how did they describe it? Restorative justice, that's how they describe it. They do this thing called restorative justice where volunteers will come in who have been victims of crimes and they'll sit down with people who have perpetrated similar crimes. Not the person who did the crime against them, but say, hey, if you were robbed, like uh, uh, you're going to sit down with somebody who's in prison for being robbed and you're going to hear each other's stories. It's powerful, powerful. And so there's this guy who was in, in prison for, you know, basically being a, a pimp and, and trafficking women. And then there was this woman who came in that spent her, her basically her first younger years being trafficked and being abused and being uh, controlled by men and, you know what I mean, being sold uh, and being trafficked. And so she sat down as a person who was trafficked with someone who was a trafficker. It was incredible, man. It was incredible. And so they're both telling their stories, and obviously this woman's story is heart-wrenching, and it's so sad. It's almost too hard to listen to, but, and I know this is true because I go into the prisons every Tuesday. I've been in just about every prison in the state of Ohio, but even the perpetrators of these crimes, there's always a story behind the story behind the story. Does that make it okay? Does that make it right? No, absolutely not. It's horrific. Some of the stuff some of these people have done, but there's always a story behind the story, and so this girl's telling her backstory and she's talking about how she was abused and she was raped as a kid and her dad was never there and all these reasons of why she ended up in this lifestyle prostitution. And I think she was probably not expecting to hear what the guy was going to say, but the guy himself talked about being molested when he was seven years old by all of his sisters and their friends. And like his mom was a prostitute and at eight years old, his mom was trying to teach him how to use women so he could get money out of them at eight years old. You know what I mean? At eight years old. And so it's just this like absolutely heart-wrenching conversation, but powerful, man. And the guy said something incredible. He said this. He said, my mother didn't have any clean water to give me because everybody dirtied hers. My mother didn't have any clean water to give me because everybody dirtied hers. And that's my question to you today. And it's not from a, it's not from a judgmental point of view, but the reality is we can only give out what we have inside of us. What does your water look like this morning? Like, what are you offering people this morning? And if you feel like your water's been dirty and like you've been through some horrible stuff and you you don't feel clean and you don't feel good enough, like let me tell you, like Jesus Himself, He He is the ultimate purification, man. Like He is the mikvah, and He can transform that dirty water into clean water. But understand, like that, there's something too, like. We can only give out what we have inside of us, right? My mother didn't have any clean water to give me because everyone dirtied hers. The existence of a mikvah is considered so important that a Jewish community is required to construct a mikvah even before building a synagogue. The same is true today. If they're going to build a synagogue down in, down in uh, Cincinnati, Dayton, even in Hamilton, like they have to build the mikvah first. And if they don't have enough money to build the mikvah, you know what they'll do? They'll sell the scrolls. 
And like in, the, in, their, in their culture, in their religion, those scrolls are the most important. They will sell the scrolls. They will sell the building. Like, hey, get that stupid flat screen TV out of here. We don't need that fancy stuff. Like, get it all out of here. Like, we have to have a mikvah. We have to have a mikvah. God, and it says, it says this. It says this in Psalms 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labors labor in vain. And I want to say this as the pastor of the French church, like God save us from anything else that becomes more important to us than inner healing, salvation, and rebirth. If all of our money and all of our resources and all of our energy is going to all this stupid hype sometimes that churches focus on, like that is not what God had in mind. We need to sell all that stuff and return to the things that really matter. May that always be the heart of the French that it's the, it's, the, it's the center point of what we're doing. May that always be the most important thing for us, man, than, than all of, of all this stuff that we do is inner healing, inner transformation, and rebirth. If we lose the, 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 the purpose to rebirth, birth, we've missed the whole point. We've missed the whole point. Now, this is funny. This is some funny stuff. I thought, thought it's interesting. Uh, a mikvah must contain enough water to cover the entire body of an average-sized person. Um, that can be subjective. <laughs> I'm a little rotund, you know what I mean? I don't know what the average size guy is. Uh, the dimension should be three cubits deep, one cubit wide, and one cubit long. Uh, the necessary volume of water, it was estimated to be 40, it's called sia. And the way that they measured this is pretty funny. It had to be big enough to fit 144 eggs. One. <laughs> I, can you just imagine people doing this? Okay, Okay, George, we built it. Go get the eggs. <laughs> you know, did they hard boil them? How did they do it? Okay, set that one in there. Ah, uh, there's 143. Tear it all out. Bring the concrete chuck back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can you imagine this? Like, are they literally sitting there putting 144 eggs? It's really interesting. And why did they choose an egg? Why did they choose an egg? They, in, in Jewish culture, they use eggs in, in a lot of their uh, religious meals and a lot of their festivals. And, and the egg symbolizes rebirth. It symbolizes rebirth. And so that's why 144 eggs. A mikvah must be built into the ground or built as an essential part of a building. Uh, there's supposed to be no, no uh, barrier between the person immersing and the water. Now, this is, fun. this is funny. This is fu- I, I think it's funny. You basically, you went in there buck naked, man. You ain't putting some clothes on, a Speedo, you know what I mean? Like, you're going in there buck naked. Like, they didn't want anything to separate you. You couldn't even have on nail polish, ladies. No fake nails, jewelry, men, no clothes, no grooming products, none of that stuff. For more observant Jewish women, uh, there would be there would be an attendant like the fun police, basically. I gotta take that ring off. It ain't good enough. You know what I mean? That's kind of awkward. But anyways, whole other story. I'm sure it was a woman. If women are going in, uh, now this is where it gets funny. According to rabbinical tradition, the hair counts as part of the body, and there, therefore it's required that all of your hair touches the water. Now some of us we have a problem with that. Some of us may not. Shaved head, you know what I mean? I used to shave my hair. But they, they had this huge argument over this uh, because, I don't know if you know this, but there's certain sects of Judaism. There's 12 tribes that, that Judaism comes out of in the Jewish culture. Uh, some of them are actually African. Some of them are Ethiopian, so they have dreadlocks. And so there's this whole argument of like, hey, can you go in because you have dreadlocks and it's all knotted up, you know what I mean? And so on one side of this argument, these guys were arguing, man, the hair's got to be combed straight so that there's no knots. But obviously some people, I don't know if anybody here has ever had dreads, like, you cannot put a comb through treads. It's not going to happen. Uh, and so, so there was a number of rulings. There's a big old argument. So they finally agreed, hey, like, let the dude have his dreads. He's fine. And, and part of the reason they came to that conclusion was this. It's funny. 
Dreadlocks can sometimes be loose enough to become thoroughly saturated with water, particularly if the person had first showered. Second point that made him come to this conclusion, combing dreadlock hair can be painful. <laughs> Although a particularly cautious individual would consider a single knotted hair as an obstruction, in most cases, loose hair was enough for water to pass through. So again, again, this idea like, hey, when you go in that water, like all of you needs to go in that water. And I, and I want to tell you this. I've been trying to walk this Jesus thing out for a while. Like, I've, 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 I've given myself fully in some ways. In some ways, I'm still giving myself. In some ways, there's things I'm learning. As I get older, I get mature. There's some things I'm holding on to I need to let go to. I need to let go of. Why is the mikvah important? Why is baptism important? It's this physical, tactile way of saying, God, like, I want to give you all of me. I want to give you all of me. So that's my question to you this morning, today. If you said yes to Jesus and you've entered the way of God, like what part of you have you been holding back? What part of you have you not allowed to touch the water? What part of your past, right? What, what, what have you held on to? What, maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's something that you've never dealt with. Maybe there's bitterness towards this person. What part of your story and part of who you are have you not allowed God to touch? What part of your life don't you talk about? What part of your life keeps you up and I what part have you not allowed to touch the water? The word mikvah, it also comes from the same root letters in Hebrew as the word hope. In the book of Jeremiah, the word mikvah is used in the sense of hope. But at the same time, it's associated with living water. This is what it says in Jeremiah. Oh, Hashem, the hope or mikvah of Israel, all who forsake you will be ashamed because they have forsaken Hashem, the fountain of living water. Water, So that it describes God as hope and it describes God and the mikvah as being one, as being one. One rabbi calls God the mikvah of Israel. God is the cleansing and healing of Israel, of Israel. Uh, I've never had the privilege to go to the Middle East. Uh, I would love to do it someday if anybody ever wants to buy my ticket. I'll take it. No, I'll just buy it. But yeah, I want to go sometime. And and in the Middle East, there's a very clear uh, example of dead water and living water. There's a place called the Dead Sea. Has anybody ever heard of this? Yeah, very bizarre, strange place. You can go there, float there. I heard they make exfoliants that are wonderful for your skin, ladies. Right? Isn't, that, isn't that like us, man? We turn that joker into a profit. You know what I mean? Hey, we can make some beauty products out of that. Set up shop, Bill. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so in in the in, in in the land of Israel, there's a place called the Dead Sea. You can look it up on the internet. I definitely check it out. Real interesting. It has about ten times the amount of salt as the ocean. There's so much salt in that in that sea that pretty much nothing can live in that sea. Nothing can live in that sea. And part of the reason why that sea stays dead is the water from the Jordan it empties into the into the Dead Sea, but it can't go out. It can so water comes in, but there's nowhere. For the water to come out. There's no outlet streams which contribute greatly to its deadness. And I want to say this. When we just come to church and we just consume, 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 right? And nothing is coming out. That's why it's important for us every other week to go out into the community. Because it, it creates this living flow and this stream that when we go out, that's where the life's at. When we come back in, that's where the life's at. It's things are meant to come in and things are meant to go out. That's the American culture. We're just concerned with taking, getting, saving, me first. Nothing is ever going to happen. Uh, and, and, and nothing is ever going out. When nothing's going out of you, you will begin to feel dead inside. 
you will. And, and I can say that. I remember when I used to be a drug dealer. And my whole purpose in life was just to get, 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 get money, get this, get that. And I remember, I, I, don't, I don't ever remember feeling more dead inside in my entire life. There's people, some of the most dead people I've met are people in churches. They go to church, man. They go to every service. They coach you every verse. They just consume them. You know what I mean? Consume it up. But nothing, nothing goes out, man. Nothing goes out. Nothing goes out. In a world of social media connection, we consume friends instead of building friendships face-to-face and interaction. Friends become currency, a commodity to consume, right? I know I'm not the only one that sees this. To gain and build and amass. How many friends? How many likes? The same can be said with church life. Some people go to church a lot. They consume a lot of church. But some of the most spiritually dead people I've met are people in church. Everything's coming in, but nothing's going out. Nothing's going out. I remember hearing a story, and, and I'm going to wrap it up uh, pretty soon with this. Uh, I remember hearing a story. There's a, there's a podcast I listen to online. It's a place called Mars Hill. It's in Granville, Michigan. I've been there a couple times. Amazing place. And this was right during the recession, and the economy had completely fallen apart. The housing market had fallen apart. A lot of people were really, really struggling. Michigan and Ohio were some of the worst hit areas in the United States. Uh, in fact, where I'm originally from, up in Northeast Ohio, uh, they called it, this area in Cleveland, they called it the ground zero for the housing crisis in the United States. There was reporters from Asia, Australia. I remember, I think it was an area of 15 square blocks. There was 2,500 boarded up vacant houses, 2,515 square blocks. It was unbelievable. Places like Detroit are like this now too. And so this was at the height of the recession in this, this church uh, in Michigan. It, 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 it was a large church. There was a lot of different type of people that were coming to this church. And, and these preachers, man, they had this idea. And I remember I was at work. I'll never forget. You know, there's sometimes you hear stuff or you experience stuff and you, you can remember exactly where you were at, what you were eating, you know what I mean, who you were talking to. And I remember I was working and I was listening to this, this podcast and I had my headphones in, you know, I'm painting, you know what I mean? And uh, I just said, I got to go outside. I got to go outside. I can't, I can't do it. I got to go outside. I need to take a break. Like I was just going to start running in there. You know, these guys didn't think I'm on drugs, I'm meth or something, you know, like, man, I got to go. So they're talking, they're talking about the recession. They're talking about the economy on this podcast. And this is their, this is basically the sermon from their church from that Sunday. And the preacher saying, hey, some of you guys have had a great year, man. You've been able to pay your mortgage. You've been able to survive. You've been able to pay your car note. Like, this is a time to thank God and acknowledge, acknowledge God for providing for your family and taking care of what you've had to take care of. Like, we're going we're gonna to take up an offering. And this is a way of just acknowledging, thank you, God, for providing. So all these people come up. Again, big church, big church. A lot of people come up. They got these white buckets, five-gallon buckets, everybody's... Throwing in, throwing in, throwing in. So they do all that. Nobody has a clue what they're getting ready to do. Then he says, hey, for some of you guys, this has been the worst time of your life. You've lost your home. You've lost your job. You're struggling. You can barely make it. We want you to come up here, and we want you to reach in these buckets, and we want you to grab handfuls. And it was just like, like I got to go outside, man. I've never seen anything like that. I'm getting choked. I'm like, yes. That is what Jesus is all about. And that's why we as a church, there's a, I'm going to keep it real. There's a lot of things that we need. There's some sound equipment we've had jacked. There's stuff we've had stolen recently with some photography stuff, with some video stuff that we want to do. But that's why it's important to us that the majority of our money goes back into the community. Because like that, like when you hear that stuff, like 
Hey, that, that's what it's all about. And, and I just remember thinking like, man, that is a picture of what Jesus is all about because they weren't just interested in gathering it. They were interested in pushing it back out. And man, I'll tell you, that's, that is what Jesus is all about. It's coming in and it's going back out. It's going back out. And I want to I close with this thought. I want to close with this thought. So when Jesus is baptized, it says that he is He's dunked under the water, right? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Jesus is dunked under the water. It says a voice, right? They hear a voice from heaven. This is my son who I'm well pleased. And it says that they see the spirit descend in this form of, of a dove. And in one translation, it says in a human form. So follow me here. Jesus is dunked under the water. The spirit appears and God says, I'm pleased. Jesus is dunked. Spirit appears. God says, I'm pleased. This happens somewhere else in Scripture. The same thing. At the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it says that when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and there was, there was no life, there was no life. Everything was chaotic. In fact, in the original Hebrew, it says it was tohu vavohu. It was wild and waste. Like everything was, there was no order, and it was complete chaos. And one translation says it was like an inky blackness. And it says that when everything was chaotic, that everything was covered in water, that the Spirit of God hovered over the water, and He brought order out of the chaos, and He brought light into darkness. And it said, and, and every time in the book of Genesis, throughout that first chapter, God creates, and He said, It's good. God creates and it's good. God creates and it's good. So again, God in the very beginning, he baptizes the world. What's happening when Jesus is baptized? What does baptism mean? What is the whole point of this thing? What happens when Jesus comes to this earth? Jesus is ushering in a whole new world. Jesus is the second Genesis. Jesus is saying, hey, the world is being recreated in my death, in my burial, in my baptism. Don't you see the symbolism? When Jesus goes under the water, a voice again appears and the spirit hovers over the water. According to Genesis, by eating the fruit, Adam and Eve had brought death into the world. Most of the laws of impurity relate to some form of death or the loss of potential life. One who comes in contact with one forms of death must then immerse in the water, which described in Genesis as flowing out of the Garden of Eden. Again, the book of Genesis, this living water is flowing out of the garden, out of the garden. Describes the spirit hovering. Jesus' baptism, again, the spirit hovering. God says it's good in Genesis. Jesus is baptized and God says, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. What, what's God saying? What's God saying in this whole story, this whole story of baptism? God is saying, I'm remaking the world. I am remaking the world. And I'm remaking the world in such a way that what's going to happen inside you, like you are going to become living baptismal pools. That when you come into contact with people, like people's lives are going to be transformed. When you come into contact people, when you come into contact with people, what God's saying is he's saying, hey, I'm making a new world right here in the midst of this one. And the same nuclear cosmic power that I used to create the heavens and earth at the beginning, like how big that thing was at the the beginning, how big that bang was at the beginning, how massive the sun is and how far reaching the galaxies, that same power is what's going to happen inside you right here, right now in the midst of this one. The mikvah and baptism are symbolic. And what do they symbolize? They symbolize the womb, this idea of being reborn and not just any womb, but the womb of God. I know that's a strange thought. That's what baptism is. It's the womb of God. 
It's when we when we enter into who God is and we're reborn again. I'll close with this scripture, John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do unless God weren't in on it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it to you again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, this wind hovering over the water creation, this invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that. A body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above by the wind of God, the spirit of God. I would like to suggest to you my brothers and sisters this morning, that God is calling us to rebirth and not just calling us to rebirth. He's calling us as the French church to offer it to other people, to make the focal point of our work at the French rebirth. The life of Jesus and the idea of born, being born again isn't just gaining a set of religious be beliefs. It's a deep and profound inner transformation where all things are new, where everything before that moment felt like black and white. I know I'm not the only one. It's like when Jesus came into my heart and he came into my life, I was living life in black and white. And when Jesus came in, it says that he illuminates the eyes of our heart and he turns on the technicolor. It's like we're seeing uh, 8K, HD, you know, technicolor. We're seeing everything in 3D. And I thank you, Jesus, that you come to offer us new life and new birth. Lord, may we never forget with the same power that you used to create the heavens and earth, you're offering us transformation. You're offering us rebirth. And it's loaded with the same force, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, the same power that created stars and galaxies, the same power that creates life, the same power that causes the ecosystem to live, the same power that created our atmosphere and the stars and planets that we can't even see through a telescope. That same power is offered to us. And I thank you, God, that no matter how broken this world, no matter how some of the leaders of Hamilton see this region, I thank you that you are going to use us to create a new world right here in the midst of this one. And so, God, would you do something incredible with the fringe? Would you do something in my heart and the heart of my friends? Would you call us to step deeper into the baptism of God? Would you call us to step deeper into the reality of God? Would you call us to immerse ourselves, Lord? Show us those things we haven't allowed to touch the water.